Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And hey, it's still October here on the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast. So we're going to be talking about something weird. I mean, we often talk about things that are weird, but I guess we get even weirder this month. So uh, Rob, today you picked out the topic of the cattle mutilation panic, which I think is going to tie into a, a very exciting Weird House Cinema movie that we're going to be uh, uh, doing an episode on tomorrow. But this is something that I've been aware of my whole life, but never actually properly looked into. I, it was just kind of one of those things always in my peripheral vision. Yeah, somewhere out there, th- th- this is a topic people care about, but I don't know anything about it. And uh, it actually, you know what, it got more interesting the more I looked at it, not because because it's aliens or a government conspiracy, but uh, I don't know the, the some of the the smart takes you found about like the the sociological phenomenon. Yeah, I think I was pretty much in the same boat concerning this topic. I knew it was something that comes up in conspiracy circles and among UFO enthusiasts. Uh, I knew that it was the kind of thing that might pop up on say an episode of the X Files here or there. Mm. Um, but I'd, I'd never really looked closely at it. And, and I do want to, yeah, I do want to tell everybody out there, yeah, there will be maybe a few little mentions of the grisly details in, in this episode. But for the most part, the really interesting stuff about this is not 
what was allegedly done or not done to cattle. But yeah, some of these other th- things surrounding it, such as you know the idea of cattle mutilation as a is uh, a is a is a as a panic or a mild panic uh, as a as an idea as a script for. Uh, for some sort of uh, unexplained event or as a, a, a script into which one could pour one's anxieties and concerns. And so we're going to be getting into a lot of that. But yeah, I think cattle mutilation is one of those topics that despite all of its grotesque and outrageous properties is easy to overlook and not to think about, especially for those of us living outside of the times. And this is generally like a, a mid, uh, mid-1970s uh, kind of situation. We'll get into the dates uh, in a bit. Uh, also, if you if you live outside of the places where the phenomenon resonates the strongest, namely American cattle country and, again, the, the mid-1970s. Uh, though, of course, there are still people who, who say that the cattle mutilation phenomenon continues to this day. And it's kind of hard to know whether to argue with that or not, because uh, as the what the social phenomenon, it does seem to have peaked very much in the 70s. Uh, but of course, there are still like cattle carcasses that people find, and sometimes they look strange, and sometimes people try to categorize those along with uh, whatever was being discussed in this other phenomenon from the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it seems to be the case that when you look at ufologists and conspiracy theory enthusiasts out there, it seems like maybe they're more often drawn into more human-centric topics like UFO sightings, I saw something, this person saw something, alien abductions in which you have a personal testimony of, uh, of beings from the outside, or stuff like JFK assassination theories and various modern trends in conspiracy circles. Uh, but yeah, I feel like for the rest of us outside of those circles, outside of the world of American cattle country in the mid-70s, it's easy to just dismiss cattle mutilation as to the realm of hoax and superstition without stopping to wonder, like, why it emerged as an idea. Like, hoaxes and superstitions do not come about without, you know, some sort of reasoning, without some sort of of, um, of cause. Like, there are interesting effects even in the creation of something that is... Uh, objectively not true, because if the alleged mutilations were not the result of secret government experiments or alien visitations or the work of strange cryptids eating on cows in the night, then what were they the result of? If these are misinterpretations of actual physical evidence, then what is being misinterpreted? Why is it being misinterpreted? What is fueling the ensuing panic? And what does it mean? Uh, So these are some of the topics we're going to be exploring in this episode. Now, a couple of key sources that I'll be referring to in this episode, and uh, and I think we're going to throw a couple other things in there as well, but one is an excellent uh, 2011 paper by Michael J. Goldman uh, that was published in Agricultural History titled Wave of Mutilation, the Cattle Mutilation Phenomenon of the 1970s. And another paper I was looking at is a 1989 paper titled Death by Folklore, Ostention, Contemporary Legend, and Murder by Bill Ellis, uh, published in Western States Folklore Society. Now, I know we said we're not going to dwell more than we need to on the the specific grisly details, though I guess we do need to begin by sort of describing what people are talking about when they, they talk about cattle uh, mutilation. That's right. Yeah, um, Goldman in his uh, in his paper points out that among the ranchers that were are, that are reporting these cases, uh, beginning in earnest, uh, he says during 1973 and continuing through the end of the 1970s, uh, these are a few of the uh, the the details we can generally tick out, uh, check off the list. 
First of all, the apparent removal of an animal's eyes, ears, udders, anus, and sex organs. Uh, not only removal, but reports that the parts are, um, are, are surgically removed, or that the cuts have surgical-like precision, or that there was some sort of coring uh, methodology to their removal. Something that, uh, that at least to the either to the eyes of the witness or in the retelling of the event does not seem in keeping with, uh, with, with the, the work of, um, of, say, animals. Yeah, they lean on this kind of detail a lot, that the stories involve um, injuries or alterations to livestock animal carcasses uh, that, are, that, would, that are not understood as like the kind of ragged tearing one would expect to see if, say, a predator had, had attacked an animal carcass. But instead, they, they describe sort of clean cuts, surgical precision, incisions or excisions as if made by a sharp metal instrument. Yeah, and uh, sometimes you'll also see it listed that there was an apparent absence of footprints or tire tracks, thus uh, ruling out human interference. Also, uh, the apparent absence of usual scavenger species, uh, playing into the argument, well, the scavengers couldn't have done this, there's no sign of the scavengers. Another one of the claims I've seen emphasized pretty often by the the cattle mutologists is the idea that there was not a single drop of blood on the site. Mm -hmm. Uh, I watched one really stupid documentary about cattle <laughs> mutilation that heavily leaned on the alleged lack of blood, uh, both in the body and on the ground around the animal, uh, sort of trying to emphasize the idea that it is impossible that, say, the soft tissue and the organs that you described earlier could have been removed as they were without spilling blood all over the place. So something is defying the laws of physics here. Yeah. Yeah. Now, additionally, in some cases, according to Goldman, and we'll get into some of this in a bit, there were also reports of aerial activity, um, of aerial phenomena happening as well, uh, such as strange objects seen in the sky for days or weeks after the incident, or the sighting of unmarked or black helicopters hovering over areas near known mutilations. And it, those are common themes, but I would say it doesn't stop there, actually. Uh, it just seems that cattle mutilations are often paired with other weird observances that you know might not be like those things at all like it might be oh there was a figure in a tree that had glowing yellow eyes and it was staring at me now at this point regular listeners to stuff to blow your mind what might re realize hey this is very similar to what we just talked about in a couple of episodes on Elf Shot. And indeed, there is a lot of uh, unexpected synchronicity between these topics. Uh, the idea, like one of the, the ideas I brought up was, you know, you, you, you go out into the woods looking for star jelly, you will find star jelly. You know, if, uh, if your, 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 your curiosity is, um, is heightened and your awareness is heightened for the uncanny or for signs of the uncanny, you can probably find something that the mind will then interpret as, as the uncanny. Right. Now, I guess from here, now that we've described what some of these reports are like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to like quibble over how accurate the observational reports of these animal carcasses are, because probably in some cases they're not uh, reported totally right. But we should just, I think, accept for the sake of argument that basically there are cases in which some or many or even all of these details have been observed and and work from there, right? Like assuming people did, at least in some cases, find livestock carcasses that had these features 
how to make sense of it. Now, of course, some people are going to go to, well, it was aliens or it's cryptids, it's the chupacabra, or it's some kind of weird government conspiracy. It's a cover up. They're doing biological weapons experiments, the kind of things you already mentioned. Um, But what, what would the skeptical side tend to come back on? Well, I mean, on, on one level, what we're talking about here, like the most logical path for understanding cattle mutilation uh, phenomenon or cattle mutilation panic is that we're talking about misinterpretation of the dead. Yeah. Um, and this this is certainly, this would not be the first time in human history that such misinterpretations played into folklore and superstition. Uh, we've talked about various examples on the show before. Uh, for instance, uh, the misinterpretation of drowned bodies in the, the Japanese kappa tales to, uh, oh, the, the various misinterpretations of human decay that played into the vampire legends of Europe, like caskets open to reveal blood-bloated bodies, supposedly, or fingernails that seem to have kept growing after death, that sort of thing. Yeah, which are actually just normal ways that a corpse might appear due to the physical process of decomposition, but people not understanding really what they were looking at, that like a, a swollen corpse would be swollen because of its, its decomposition state, not because it has recently engorged itself on a meal of blood. Right. But how often are you opening up caskets? You're probably only opening up caskets of suspected vampires. So, you, And then when you open them up, this is what you see. You've, you probably don't have a lot to compare it to. And therefore, the supernatural provides a script by which to understand uh, the, the, the strange and the uncanny. Rob, you just drew the comparison to our Elf Shot episodes, but I also think of uh, the story of the farmer who has a calf drop dead and then opens up the body and finds that it has a hole in its heart, or so so the farmer exactly. thinks. I mean, it it's not said in that story how much experience the farmer had looking at calf hearts. I mean, maybe they had a lot, maybe they had none, I, I don't know. But it, uh, in any case, this is interpreted as a fairy weapon, because what else could explain it? Yeah. Now, this is probably a good time as any to remind everybody that when, when, we, when we talk about um, phenomena like this, uh, situations where there, there, there very well may be some sort of a, um, a moral panic or public panic in place, and there's some sort of a, uh, you know, a paranormal angle, uh, you know, it doesn't mean by any, by any stretch of the imagination that you have just like dumb individuals falling for something that, uh, that, uh, you know, that this is just, um, like stupid people making a stupid mistake. Uh, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, you know, and once you're, you're, you're in the middle of, uh, of one of these situations, uh, you know, you have, you have various forces kind of steering, uh, your mind towards the supernatural script and then the interpretation of reality through that script. So I want to drive that home because, and, and also it, it ultimately builds up from there because because one of the, the things that Goldman points out is that ultimately multiple local and state law enforcement agencies opened investigations into cattle mutilation. This includes the, the CBI, the Minnesota Field Office of the ATF, as well as federally funded investigations d- directed by the Northern New Mexico DA, DA's office. You had senators and congressmen raising questions about the phenomenon, and ca- uh, Canadian reports were investigated by the Mounties. So... Um, so yeah, we, we, we have to be careful looking back, uh, at, at this, uh, these events in the 1970s, um, uh, with, uh, uh, yeah, w- w- knowing what we know now. Well, and also being humble about what we know now, because while I think we can offer some, some r- very reasonable guesses that would explain many of these cases, I mean, it's, it's totally possible that there are 
some cases, some reports of cattle mutilation phenomenon that, in fact, we have no idea what the explanation is. That doesn't mean you have warrant to jump to conclusions of aliens or government conspiracies or whatever. Uh, but, you know, we, we should be humble about our, you know, the limits of our ability to explain things. Sometimes the cases are just underdetermined. We don't have enough evidence. We don't know what happened. Yeah. And of course, I think today's audience certainly realizes the role that the, the media can play in um, in presenting like conspiracy ideas and, um, and, and even paranormal ideas about what's going on in the world. And uh, yeah, at the time, Goldman points out it wasn't just fringe and conspiracy reporting that was fueling this. Um, it uh, even though cattle mutilation is largely the domain of of these groups today, but at the time, the Associated Press and Newsweek both covered cattle mutilation uh, phenomena. There there was, was even a regional Emmy award winning documentary in 1980. Uh, so you had that going on as well to to fuel uh, the, uh, the 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 paranoia. So, but while aliens and UFOs and ultimately, I think, cryptids would play a part in the various interpretations and stories about uh, supposed cattle mutilations, the most pervasive version of the cattle mutilation script during the 1970s, the most pervasive version that was being reported, uh, reported to the media and so forth, was that of a conspiracy theory concerning the U.S. government. And this is one of Goldman's key points uh, in his writings, because while it's easy to dismiss cattle mutilation as being just a a part of the larger UFO hysteria uh, gripping the country at the time, quote, it reveals much about the socioeconomic condition of Midwestern ranchers. It demonstrates the volatility of the cattle industry during the 1970s and a growing distrust of the federal government among many small-scale ranchers who had limited holdings, worked their ranch part-time, or relied on public land use to sustain their cattle. I think Goldman makes a great point that during the 70s especially, there were multiple factors sort of uh, working together at the same time, a sort of a disembodied conspiracy, working to really uh, put the pressure on on Western ranchers in the U.S. Yeah, especially the smaller scale ranchers, which yeah. is something he touches on again and again. the The bigger ranchers. They were not reporting these incidents, and they were they they seemed largely skeptical of these reports. It was the smaller scale ranchers that uh, uh, that were reporting these. Now, this period uh, economically is often reported uh, referred to as the Great Stagflation, a time defined by high inflation, high unemployment, and economic stagnation, and heap onto that high food prices a global food shortage, and, uh, and so forth. Goldman provides a, a great deal more insight on the economic and policy details here. But one of the key details concerns what's known in, um, uh, in, in the cattle business and uh, agricultural history of the time as, and also in the reporting of the time as the wreck in 1973. Now, again, this is just a, the brief version. Goldman goes into a lot more detail, but basically President Nixon institutes a 90-day price freeze on certain meats to halt inflation. Then the freeze is lifted on everything except cattle. So cattle ranchers, they hold off on slaughtering their cattle till the freeze lifts. They know the freeze is going to lift. So why, why slaughter and sell now when they can wait until the prices go back up? But this ends up impacting the meatpacking industry, putting people out of jobs. And this results also in a nationwide beef shortage. I think Goldman also makes the point that the the ranchers were sort of in a bind because so there was a, a temporary freeze on the price of beef, but there was but meanwhile inflation was still affecting say the price of the grains that they would be mm-hmm. using for feed and stuff like that. 
Yeah, yeah. So they weren't completely insulated from from everything either. They were still feeling the you know the, the, the tough socioeconomic pressure as well. So Goldman argues that the distrust ranchers held toward the federal government during this time, coupled with the turbulent economic conditions and government interference in the cattle industry, fed and helped sustain cattle mutilation phenomena. Uh, the script of cattle mutilation gave them a means of understanding certain cattle deaths, but also a way to project their fears and insecurities into this uh, uh, conspiracy. Uh, Goldman also links this atmosphere of hostility to the Sagebrush Rebellion, in which Western state lawmakers attempted to reclaim federally protected public lands for ranchers and miners, and the libertarian movement of the 60s and 70s, and, and also uh, hostility towards 1970s environmental regulations that had come online. So if I'm understanding Goldman's interpretation right, uh, and, and if he's correct, what he's saying is that there essentially were all these real conditions that were making life very hard for, for ranchers in the seventies. And some of those real conditions uh, at least were perceived to be due to, to, to government uh, influence. And then you pair that with, okay, maybe you have some uh, random cattle die offs that are due to a number of different causes, perhaps. And you sort of project this this frustration and this unease onto the deaths of those cattle and imagine that the deaths of the cattle is actually caused by the government like directly in a violent way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Again, an anxious situation, very tense, especially among these smaller scale ranches. And you already have a, a very a low opinion of the government, of the federal government at the time. And then cattle mutilation provides a means of unleashing all of these feelings onto an even more diabolical vision of the U.S. federal government, one that isn't just restricting your freedoms or hurting your livelihood, but who is actively and physically visiting your livestock and mutilating them with bizarre methods for unfathomable ends. So the you know in, in in this strip the agents of the government become virtually identical to imagined witches and wizards at black masses you know engaging in bloody acts to aid dark forces and the dead body of the cow becomes a kind of physical evidence to back up one's view of of the federal government. Mm -hmm. So uh, Goldman explains that in '73, in the aftermath of the wreck, ranchers in Kansas and Nebraska began to report cattle mutilations, and some also reported strange lights in the sky. And the way Goldman describes it, uh, ufologists or UFO enthusiasts were, were quick to jump in and offer their favorite explanation for the lights, especially, but also the mutilations. And apparently some ranchers described what they saw in those terms, but others were more vague about it. They might say, well, there's a big ball of fire in the sky. Uh, but Goldman writes that, quote, many more reported seeing strange, unmarked helicopters. So again, for the most part, it doesn't seem like like uh, the individuals that were reporting these in the 70s were talking about UFOs. Most of them were drawing in these ideas that, that some sort of strange helicopters were seen nearby, uh, strange helicopters that might well be the work of the government. Now, there were other initial explanations for the, the helicopters. There was talk, well, maybe it's cattle rustlers. But then the, you know, why would cattle rustlers uh, kill a cow and only take like the eyeballs and, and other strange parts? Um, you know, then uh, there was also the idea that it was some sort of military operation based out of Fort Riley in Kansas, uh, or that it was uh, indeed the work of some government, secret government agency, and the, muta the mutilations were the result of uh, some sort of biological weapons test program. And these ultimately become the, the, the more um, uh, widely circulated ideas. 
And I think it is totally worth noting that while I think you and I agree that uh, government conspiracies do not seem like a very good explanation for the uh, the alleged cattle mutilation phenomenon, there actually almost certainly were some government conspiracies, at least one we know of, that did lead to dead livestock in the years just before this. Uh, the the so-called Dugway Sheep Incident or the Dugway Sheep Massacre uh, though I think there's some very important differences I want to mention, but like that, that does appear, I think, due to some document disclosures now to be pretty clearly the fault of some government weapons testing. Yeah, this was 1968, uh, the Dugway sheep incident in which uh, I think Goldman cites uh, 4,500 sheep, but I've seen, I've seen 6,000 cited elsewhere. So uh, I'm going to go with Goldman on this one, but perhaps the, the number has shifted. Um, at any rate, that's a lot of sheep. Thousands of sheep were killed on ranches near the U.S. Army's Dugway Proving Ground in Utah. And accusations were made at the time against the Army saying, you guys did this. You did something with your weapons tests and you killed all these sheep. And the Army said, no, no, we, that's not true. We didn't do that. Uh, but then in 1998, these incidents were revealed to have been caused by tests apparently of the nerve agent VX. So Goldman points out that, yeah, the Dugway sheep incident could have also contributed to the, the cattle mutilation script involving, you know, clandestine uh, U.S. military testing and certainly made it seem more possible. Uh, like, like, here's this other incident. Like, you, you can't argue with all the, the thousands of dead sheep. We think the government had something to do with that. So perhaps it's also they also had something to do with this cow that was found on your land or the, the, this cow that was found on a neighbor's uh, ranch. Though I think there are some very important differences, one of which being that I think in the Dugway incident, there was some there was some additional evidence to confirm that uh, the government testing of nerve agents intended as weapons had possibly been involved, uh, like mm-hmm. like there were some lab tests that, that showed the presence of VX in some of these sheep. Am I right about that? Yeah, that's my understanding, that there were clear signs that a nerve agent of some sort had been used. Uh, and there were, of course, no signs of mutilation. These were just sheep that were uh, that were dying or dead all of a sudden. The other thing I would say is that while I think it's always important to be modest about trying to uh, to reason out how, you know, reason out what would have made sense to happen, because sometimes there are just situations where, you know, you don't know why something would have happened. But, but uh, given that caveat, the alleged chain of events that happened at Dugway makes sense. So this is a weapons testing grounds. Uh, they're testing secret weapons programs. They're testing nerve gas. There's a malfunction. It releases gas into a ranch populated area nearby and poisons and kills a bunch of sheep. And I think also possibly uh, affected some humans living there as well. Mm. And while this could just be a failure of imagination, again, to be humble about that, I have a hard time coming up with an equally logical chain of events leading to a government conspiracy to mutilate random cows and horses on people's ranch land and then cover it up. Like, if men in secret black helicopters needed cow organs, this is often what is supposed that like they're doing biological experiments and they need cow organs for them. Uh, it seems like a really weird choice to source them by attacking other people's privately owned cattle herds in the night and trying to keep it a secret. Like, Again, you can't say that's impossible, but I'm just trying to think why they would go that route instead of just like buying or raising their own stocks of cattle to run the tests on. 
Yeah, especially since the tasks in question are supposed to be secret. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, how are you going to maintain secrecy by 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 conducting your experiments on on uh, on the land of of others and then running away from it and just leaving all the evidence there? I mean, running a secret helicopter operation that's got to actually be expensive. It, it's hard for it, I, I, I'm not an expert on the you know agricultural pricing, but I would think you could actually get the cows cheaper than like running a helicopter program. This is going to be mostly a discussion we'll save for this week's Weird House, but I feel like the 1982 Alan Rudolph film Endangered Species, uh, which is not the main film we're going to be talking about this Friday, but it is a cattle mutilation film that involved, that takes the conspiracy thriller route and has a, a government conspiracy at the heart of things. This movie probably does as logical and a good a job as you could possibly do to 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 bring that to life on the screen and make it feel like it makes sense. And a, and a big part of, of how uh, Rudolph pulls it off and the screenwriters pull it off is by not filling in those blanks, by keeping the mystery there. Like yeah. you see government researchers doing this, collecting cattle and talking about it. I mean, they're just kind of like talking shop, like, well, should we go out and get one more before we have to clear out of here for secret reasons? And they're like, yeah, we'll do it. And you buy into it because it's well-constructed and well-presented on the screen, but they don't actually explain. They don't, they know better than to try to explain why they would be doing this. Yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. 
When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. At any rate, as, as, um, as Goldman points out, like this does seem to create a genuine feeling of fear and disquiet. Uh, in these regions about cattle mutilations. It's not just, again, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of anxiety already about the socioeconomic conditions. Then this is occurring. There are people who are ta- telling tales about this. And it's not just like casual, like, like oh, here, have the media come over. I'm going to tell them about this cow. I think it was aliens or I think it was a conspiracy. No, people were apparently concerned. And it led to the actual formation of vigilante groups who were checking out-of-state vehicles for signs of cattle blood. Um, there were reports of encounters with strange helicopters that were spreading around. So you had some some unfortunate and dangerous incidents like in Nebraska, a farmer apparently shot at a utility helicopter and the Nebraska National Guard had to ask all choppers to start flying at a higher altitude for a while. There was another case with a rancher firing at a military chopper. So at a state level, officials were were worried that someone might get hurt over this. Like it wasn't just... There's some superstition out there, but like it's it's leading to some potentially dangerous situations. And on top of this, like the ranchers are still saying, yes, something terrible is happening here. Something strange is happening here. Uh, cash rewards are being offered and, ulti- and ultimately official inv- investigations are opened into the matter. But but when do we get to the satanic cults? Oh, now we get to the satanic cults because, yeah, one of the investigations that's opened, this is 75, so this is, this is pretty much the peak, according to Goldman. You have the Minnesota ATF, uh, that's the um, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, opening investigation, which led to 
satanic biker gangs, or <laughs> as um, as Goldman quotes them as saying, hell-oriented biker gangs. Hell-oriented. Yeah. Uh, oh and according to Goldman, this comes about because the lead investigator ends up talking to a convicted uh, bank robber, and that bank robber insists that bikers, hell-oriented bikers, are the ones running around mutilating cows. Uh, so yeah, at this point, the devil and his bikers are involved, but of course, Within the confines of an actual investigation, this leads nowhere because because this was not actually happening. They apparently did turn up some evidence on illegal motorcycle gang activities, uh, illegal motorcycle club activities uh, in the region, but nothing that connected to cattle mutilation. So the case was closed. Okay, so it probably was not satanic biker gangs. Right. I think we can rule that out. Uh, but then the Colorado Bureau of Investigation gets involved. Uh, also in 75, a 19-month investigation uh, with Carl Whiteside looking at more than 200 reported mutilations and necropsies of 19 carcasses. I think they were going to try and do more, but it ended up being 19. Um, 11 of these cases were ruled to have possibly had cuts made by a sharp object or, uh, or instrument post-mortem, but all signs still pointed to natural causes of death. The CBI posted a $40,000 reward for information on cattle mutilations. They even set up a witness protection program for anyone who would come forward with information, but no one came forward. The case was closed due to lack of apparent criminal activity and due to the fact that reports of cattle mutilations began to drop off on their own by mid-1976. Now, during that CBI investigation, apparently Whiteside asked the FBI for assistance which was denied, apparently due to lack of evidence. But, of course, the FBI's refusal to uh, investigate played right into the hands of conspiracy theorists who were like, well, yeah, of course the feds aren't going to look into it. It's the feds doing it, right? Right. I mean, one of the things about the conspiracy mindset is it can accommodate anything. So if the FBI does investigate, that's validation. If they don't investigate, that's also validation. Right. But, uh, yeah, according to Goldman, 75 was the peak for reported cattle mutilations he writes that actual numbers of reported cases are spotty, uh, but some of the reported numbers break down as follows. So there's uh, like 100 mutilations in Nebraska, Kansas, and Iowa between May 73 and September 74, 22 mutilations in Minnesota between 1970 and 1974, and Colorado reports were, were high, but also they fluctuated somewhat. So depending on apparently which source you're looking at, could be as few as 50 or as many as 200. It's interesting those numbers are different than generalizations I know I've seen in uh, the, the more like fringe-leaning uh, cattle mutilation sources, which say that, you know, there are th thousands and thousands of incidents. Yeah, but I think as we'll, we'll discuss, um, even that might, might not, not be as impressive a number as we think. Um, but anyway, yeah, here, here are the hard facts, though. All evidence suggests that, that these apparent mutilations were not due to any of these... Um, outrageous or otherworldly or conspiracy-minded um, uh, causes, they were in all likelihood due to scavenger activity, with the possibility that there may have been some human involvement in a few instances. Uh, and, and as for the cause of death, which again, in the, the cases where we had actual uh, necropsies, uh, they seem to all be natural causes. Goldman does drive home that cattle death is just a way of life, obviously, uh, generally caused by diseases such as uh, blackleg, uh, which apparently is a, a common cattle disease, oh, lightning that, strikes. Oh, sorry, blackleg came up in the Elf Shot episode because that that's was, right, it did. 
Yeah, they were asking the uh, in one of those reports asking the farmer whether the calf could have fallen ill because apparently with blackleg, uh, also known as quarter ill, which again is an infection caused by Clostridium bacteria, uh, that often an animal can seem healthy and then drop dead very rapidly. It can be uh, mm-hmm. extremely sudden. Yeah. Uh, lightning strikes are another one, and lightning strikes uh, apparently can they can leave quite perplexing uh, injuries on the the on a dead uh, cow or horse. Also, gastrointestinal problems due to consuming nails, barbed wire, etc. Uh, you know, whilst uh, grazing. But here's a here's some numbers from Goldman that I think are, are pretty interesting. Quote: In 1974, again, this is the, the this is right around the the peak. You know, right before 75, uh, the peak. In 1974, the USDA estimated that 6.1 million cattle deaths had occurred over the course of the year which equates to only 4.5% of the overall cattle population of 131.8 million head. And this number, he adds, was actually down from 73 spike of 6.5 million deaths. So Goldman contends that finding a dead cow was nothing that unusual, and certainly ranchers would be used to it, but, but the thing is, when there's some other reason to be suspicious, if there's some other possible idea that's introduced, that is backed up by media circulation and so forth, then things can become different. Yeah, and of course, the people who would say, well, no, cattle mutilation, there is something actually weird going on. They would come back to that stuff we talked about before, like the their claims about the characteristic features of the injuries to these cow carcasses that they would say could not be the result of natural predators or scavengers. Right. And that, yeah, that, and that's, it's unfortunate that you still see that reporting where, where they'll say, well, no, this couldn't be animals doing this. What predator would, would leave all the good meat? What predator would only eat these strange fleshes? But that's the thing. Uh, we can we can pretty much agree that the, this is the work of scavengers. Um, the frequently cited missing bits in the cattle mutilation are exactly the sorts of flesh that cav- the scavengers, like coyotes, foxes, vultures, magpies, bobcats, badgers, and flies would go for. This is the soft tissue. And I think we've discussed this very situation before in reference to crabs on the show. Oh, yeah. There's also the argument, well, scavengers can't be that precise with their cuts, uh, but I think as uh, we'll discuss that again in a little bit here, but, um, but also I think it's, it's fair to say that scavengers can, can probably be more precise than you think, especially if they're removing uh, the soft flesh from a region. And then there's also the argument, well, there was no blood. Uh, well, the lack of blood uh, was apparently uh, often due to the post-mortem coagulation of blood in the lower regions of the animal. So again, the animals died of some of their cause. It's not been killed by a predator. It dies, it falls over. The blood uh, uh, coagulates in the lower regions, drains and coagulates, and then the scavenger arrives. Yeah, the blood phenomenon, also known as liver mortis, uh, L-I-V-O-R. Another potential source of strange-looking injuries on an animal cadaver that uh, that I was reading about Decomposition itself, decomposition of an animal body uh, by insects and by microorganisms does not always look the way you would expect it to, and it can produce some very weird and creepy looking details. For example, I was reading in the Skeptic's Dictionary by Robert Todd Carroll an account of an experiment carried out by the Sheriff's Department of Washington County, Arkansas, I think this was in 1979, in which a cow carcass was left out in a field and observed for 48 hours just to see what the natural course of decomposition looked like. 
And uh, Carol writes that, you know what? They found that blowflies and maggots cleaned out portions of soft tissue, sometimes said to be missing from cases uh, classified as cattle mutilation. And also, I found this may be the most interesting part, quote, bloating led to incision-like tears in the skin. So a lot of the belief that it must be aliens or it must be uh, a government conspiracy leans heavily on the cuts that resemble clean incisions or excisions rather than ragged tearing. But it seems like there are cases where just regular decomposition can lead to what look like very clean splits or cuts in the hide. Yeah, this uh, this study is one that I believe Goldman mentions as well, uh, conducted by anthropologist Nancy Owen, um, funded by the University of Arkansas, uh, using lethally tranquilized but already dying cows, or a already dying cow. And they found that the resulting scavenger wounds matched up closely with reported um, cattle mutilation, quote, surgical cuts after 30 hours of exposure. Okay, so it seems likely to us, at least, that many of the uh, animals reported as part of the cattle mutilation phenomenon probably had injuries as a result of scavengers or as a result of decomposition. But probably also some of them were actually just cases where, like, a human person went out and tampered with a cow carcass. Yeah, especially once the uh, the script is 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 at full power. Once the idea is out there. So yeah, you do have again a few cases of suspected human activity, and these were thought to be post mortem wounds. So again, the the animal had died of some other cause, and then humans came and messed with the with the body. And when you get into the reason for this, well, I think we'll get into that question a bit more in a bit here. But um, at the time. One motive trotted out for these uh, quote-unquote rural vandals uh, by some local agencies was good old-fashioned cult activity. So yeah, this, again, we're kind of slapdab in the middle of satanic panic here. Uh, so uh, it, it, I guess it, it unfortunately makes sense that um, satanic cults would be uh, uh, fingered in all of this, so sort of like they were with the biker scenario. So, right, but not satanic bikers, just your average run-of-the-mill satanic uh, farm teenagers. Right. And according to Goldman, uh, Iowa's Department of Criminal Activity at the time claimed to have found evidence connecting some of the mutilations to satanic activity, but no arrests were ever made. And at any rate, the cases with suspected human involvement were very low compared to the overall reported rate of mutilations. Given the general uh, credulity about satanic cult phenomenon at the time, I, I would be doubtful of that connection. Right. But we'll come back to this in a bit. But essentially, what ends up happening, though, again, is the rate drops on its own, uh, and investigations are less about, let's find these people before they strike again, or let's stop these aliens, or whatever, let's find out what's happening, but instead trying to figure out what happened. Why, uh, why were there so many reports of cattle mutilations? And again, mostly by small-scale ranchers blaming the federal government. Uh, so you had various surveys take place. Um, former FBI agent Kenneth Rommel investigated on behalf of the DA's office in New Mexico. And he, I think, offered a very logical sounding uh, uh, analysis of everything, blaming it on the power of suggestion, media sensation, as well as irresponsible local law enforcement officials. So basically, according to Rommel, you'd, you'd have this script already out there. Uh, in the world. And, and uh, then you'd have sensationalization by the media. And then comes a local law enforcement officer in to, re to, uh, to, to, to respond to your report of a cattle death, an officer who probably didn't have experience with bovine deaths, Goldman adds, and who would then suggest 
the cattle mutilation script. And not necessarily simply coming out and saying, well, that looks mighty strange. I reckon it was aliens. But even by more casually just mentioning some of the sort of the key words of the script, like saying, like, like remarking that the wounds look surgical or remarking that, that the wounds look like cuts. And the mind can just fill in the rest, was Rommel's argument. Uh, and the results of this then, as this gets passed up the chain, the media catches wind of it. And the, so the results feed the media coverage and the mild mass hysteria, as Goldman describes it, continues. Now, of course, we know conspiracy mindset can accommodate anything. So if you have somebody investigate it and find there's nothing to it, well, that, that confirms it because they're part of the conspiracy. Right, right. And yeah, so detractors argue that Rommel was clearly part of conspiracy, especially with his FBI background. Uh, there was another investigation that uh, the Goldman mentions, a private investigation by Daniel Kagan and Ian Summers. Uh, and these backed up most of Rommel's findings as they conducted interviews across the country and learned, linked the reports to a loss of faith in American institutions. Uh, so belief in the bizarre fueled by disillusionment. So Goldman spends a lot more time making this case. And again, I think this paper is worth checking out if you're really interested in the, the nuts and bolts of it. Again, the wreck in the cattle industry peaks in 75 and falls away after that, which matches up with the rise and fall of reported mutilations, uh, with small ranches hit the hardest by the wreck uh, being the main source of the reports, while larger ranchers remain skeptical of the whole deal. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. 
If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. Having a one-line plan means you only need you to save. No estranged roommates, exes, cousins twice removed, or AI-powered humanoid robots needed. And because $25 a month really means $25 a month, you can call, text, stream, whatever, as much as you want without worrying about getting dinged at the end of the month. No hidden fees, no surprises. No, really. It's like the old saying goes, you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. So spread the word. Tell all your friends there's a wireless company out there with transparency in their name, and they're called Visible. Start saving on wireless today at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know, to echo an idea that I think you already started to raise here, it seems to me that perhaps a, a major source of confusion is the very creation of this category known as cattle mutilations into which many uh, literally different incidents with probably different causes can all be kind of sorted together. And then once you have them all in the same conceptual bucket, people naturally tend to assume they therefore must all share a single explanation. So if you say, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this case of uh, alleged cattle mutilation, and this could probably just be a result of natural predation or an animal dying of natural causes and then being attacked by a scavenger. And then, of course, someone could say, well, but that couldn't explain the weird features of this other cattle mutilation case. And then you could say, well, that could be just a product of the normal features of decomposition of an animal body. And they could say, well, but decomposition couldn't explain this and this, these other cases. And you could say, well, maybe in that case, a person just mutilated a cow. Like for some reason, some person did that. And then they say, but a person couldn't have done what we saw in this other case. So the problem would be you are assuming these are all cattle mutilation phenomenon, which mentally makes them all the same thing, which makes you assume they must all have the same cause. And because there's no one explanation that fits all of them, therefore, there's no way to explain the phenomenon. Yeah, and I think this might this this is interesting because I think this also could help explain why, despite government conspiracies, and government tests, and black helicopters being the the primary detail of the script uh, in the 1970s, why it seems to have drifted more towards the alien 
uh, <laughs> uh, explanation in like modern conspiracy treatment of it. Because yeah. yeah, if you if you start saying yeah, like you were saying, uh, well, if it can't if, if it can't be a person here, uh, but it but it you know maybe could be here. Like you eventually reach a point where the idea that it's government agents doesn't even fit anymore. You have to go entirely into the unseen world. You have to go entirely into the realm of either elves or aliens. Yeah, and I think the the uh, impulse to say, well, it, it has to be aliens really arises from the ones where, uh, you know, the, the details people describe in the reports seem to defy the laws of physics, at least as, you know, understood. Like, so the, the ones where they say, like, there was not a single drop of blood on the ground. I don't know what to make of those cases. I don't think it I don't think you're justified in jumping yet to it must be aliens. I think it's more likely to say maybe there's something you don't quite understand about the way this scene is reported or how exactly uh, the decomposition of an animal works. Uh, that seems more likely to me. But who knows? You know, uh, I, I'm not all knowing. But uh, anyway, to come back to my summary thoughts on this. I personally think it makes the most sense when looking at this whole thing to say cattle mutilation is actually just a grouping of diverse instances of dead animals with various injuries uh, that have a number of different causes. So some might be the work of natural predators and scavengers. Some might be animals that died of disease and simply decomposed in a way that looked odd. Some might be struck by lightning. Some were actually mutilated by people for whatever reason. And some might have explanations we haven't thought of yet. Yeah. And uh, I want to get here and we're not going to spend as much time with this, but I do want to touch on ostension as a way of of potentially understanding these cases, these few cases where human acts seem to have been involved, where humans seem to have come along and potentially uh, carved up some of these animals um, post-mortem to sort of prop up the the, the myth, prop up the legend. And um, I was reading about this potential angle in Death by Folklore, Ostention, Contemporary Legend, and Murder by Bill Ellis. Again, that's published 89, Western States Folklore Society. And he discusses a, 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 quote, third dimension of the legendary. Ellis writes, quote, Folklorists disagree about whether legends describe events that actually did or did not happen in the past. But in the light of recent events in scholarship, it seems more accurate to describe legends as normative definitions of reality, maps by which one can determine what has happened, what is happening, and what will happen. I think that's incredibly perceptive and very well put that in a way when people are arguing about the truth of a legend often, you know, it takes the form of arguing about whether or not something literally did or did not happen at a particular time in the past, but that's not really the spirit of what they're arguing about. Often the spirit of what they're arguing about is, is this story reflective of how things are in the world? Ellis cites the work of folklorist Linda Dage, uh, and I, I, I hope I'm getting that right. If I'm not, I apologize. And Andrew Vassani, who uh, contend that, quote, not only can facts be turned into narratives, but narratives can also be turned into facts. And so in this, we get into ostension theory. Uh, these two authors uh, were the first to use ostention in folklore, but the idea in communication theory goes back further. Um, Umberto Eco discussed it in a theory of semiotics 
from 1979. Uh, but even in that, I was looking up some of his, his writings in that book about this topic. And even that he's, he's citing, uh, Wittgenstein. So, um, I'm not, not sure where we are, how far back we trace this discussion, but, uh, Echo writes, quote, ostension occurs when a given object or event produced by nature or human action intentionally or unintentionally and existing in a world of fact among facts is quote unquote picked up by someone and shown as the expression of the class of which it is a member. And so Echo uses examples in the book such as showing a brand of cigarettes or showing a shoe. And you, and, uh, you, know, you might be conveying something like, uh, the shoe is dirty or I need more of these cigarettes, that sort of thing. Ah, but I can see how this would apply to folklore and even to uh, to fringe beliefs and conspiracy theories in that, uh, you know, when you believe very much in sort of a story about something that recurs in the world or a way the world is, you you don't just believe in the instances of it that you already know about. You want to, like, show new instances of that event as exemplars of the fact that the, the overall arc, the overall narrative really does take place. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of difficult to think about this because it's, I, you know, you, I kind of waver on interpreting it as, like, how much of it is, so, is sort of subconscious, how much of it is conscious. Not to say that it's entirely... Uh, subconscious, but like how much of it is the conscious dimension of the act and how much is the subconscious? Um, so to explain things better, Ellis brings up examples of folkloric ostensive actions, such as legend tripping. So going to or engaging in acts that are said to elicit a supernatural response. So going out and setting on railroad tracks at night, by the way, do not do that. Uh, generally, I think it's uh, in, in many, if not most cases, it, it may be illegal to set on those railroad tracks in addition to being dangerous. Uh, so, um, but doing things like that, honking three times, looking for cryptids, going on a Bigfoot search. Uh, the, these are all potentially examples of legend tripping. They're all essentially benign acts. Uh, for the most part, no one is going to get hurt because you went out and searched for Bigfoot. Uh, and doing this search doesn't rule out the monster, but fuels the legend. Like nobody has ever gone out searching for Bigfoot and then said, well, we didn't find him. I just don't believe in it anymore. And to be fair, though, of course, I'm not advocating the existence of, uh, of Squatch here. But, uh, you know, you need to take you need to keep in mind search spaces. Like if you went out looking for Bigfoot, even if Bigfoot really existed, would you expect to find him on one trip into the woods? Probably not. Yeah. So this is where things get into like darker shades of folklore. And Ellis uh, discusses such things as uh, food tampering and ritual murder. Uh, but he also p- brings up uh, um, the, uh, the cattle mutilation uh, phenomenon or cattle mutilation panic at one point in the article, focusing on cult interpretations of the crime, which we already discussed some of those that were brought up in the other sources, as well as some really out there statements from a couple of Texas inmates at the time who said that it was an elaborate satanic undertaking by cult. Uh, He also points to other 1976 reports of animal mutilations, cattle and other animals, some of which involved reports of black robe figures and all the usual bells and whistles of of cult activity. Uh, There were, of course, no firsthand accounts of any of this, uh, but these were the stories that were circulating. Was there a sacred bejeweled dagger? Yeah. 
So Ellis stresses that these rumors and legends reflect a, quote, complex assortment of deliberate acts, misinterpreted evidence, and exaggeration. And he writes that while logic neatly handles all the challenges of the mystery, quasi-astention plays the key role here, quote, the observer's interpretation of puzzling evidence in terms of a narrative tradition. So if, if you're prepared to find evidence of X, then you will find evidence of X. If you go out looking for Bigfoot, yeah, you may, you're not going to see him, but you're probably going to, there's a good chance you'll find something, right? If you find some hair, well, that might be Bigfoot hair. There's some Bigfoot fur right there. Uh, you know, some other strange mark. Uh, if you go looking for star jelly in the woods, you'll find star jelly. But then human actors, he writes, can insert themselves into a given, given script by engaging in, in acts of ostension like legend tripping, uh, which sounds like a potential way to understand those few incidents of cattle mutilation in which human activity may have been involved. Uh, and there's, I want to read one last quote from Ellis here that I thought was particularly creepy and very seasonal. Quote, in contemporary times, too, legends about satanic murder and cattle mutilation are not just expressions of fictive horror. They are paradigms for making the world more horrifying. The haunted house and the outside world are always in danger of merging. I guess that's true. It is up to humans not to decide to make them merge by uh, by acting out a legend or or uh, or uh, dangerous fiction uh, in reality. Yeah, because I mean, we have to remind ourselves that a lot of these dangerous fictions—they're not just idle fascinations, or or they—they're not necessarily idle fascinations. Like certainly, you can have an idle fascination with uh, with any number of conspiracy theories. Certainly, but where these things seem to have more traction is where like ones. Um, you know, personal identity or um, or view of the entire world becomes wrapped up in that thing. Uh, that seems to be the area where you get some real potential for for danger. That's where the haunted house uh, in their outside world can potentially emerge. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close out the episode right here, but we'd love to hear from everyone out there. Obviously, this is a topic uh, uh, of much rumination in some circles. And uh, some of you might have re- read some other sources that, you know, you might have some examples of uh, faulty logic on this that would be uh, interesting to share. You might have some uh, some examples of some very strong points or or, um, or a counter-arguments, also just other theories, because some of the, the material out there, we, we looked at a particular recent documentary in which the um, another idea was brought up that large ranches were were the were the cause of this like big ranchers were targeting the small ranches and i had not heard that i didn't see that that wasn't mentioned as a possibility in the sources i was looking at and i certainly don't think that was the case but i did think it was interesting because it does it does fit in with the um the sort of socioeconomic setting of the time of the mid 1970s you know the idea that again it is the struggling smaller rancher that is that is feeling the pain and is reporting these incidents so you it would make sense that at least some of them might say well i think it's these big ranchers that are doing it like you can see why that script would uh, would gain traction is what i'm saying yeah, it's an interesting premise. Unfortunately, that document in particular, I think, is the result of a government conspiracy. It was designed <laughs> in a lab in order to reduce people's critical thinking faculties. All right. Well, we'd love to hear from everyone out there if you have, any, have some critical analysis. Uh, or if anyone out there has, if you have ties to the, the ranching world and have some uh, insight, we'd love to hear from you. you know, every, any, everything's valid. So uh, feel free to write in. In the meantime, core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind published on Tuesdays and Thursdays in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. On Mondays, we do listener mail. On Wednesdays, we do a short form uh, monster fact or artifact. And on Fridays, we do Weird House Cinema. That's our time to set aside most concerns, serious concerns, and just talk about a weird film. And this 
Friday. We have a weird one that is also a cattle mutilation film. Um, I think it'll be a fun episode. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.